0: man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode 134. We're going to talk all about the sky clock today, and it's interesting. I always learn something when I invite people on who have been studying this. Many people come along and they say, oh, you don't know what you're doing, this, that, or the other thing. We, we ran into the same thing in the law series, and we concluded that there's more than one way to skin a cat here, and a lot of it has to do with human perception. But Michael Joseph goes... great depth into the sky clock and in the second hour we begin to tie demonstrative things to world events to demonstrate why why people should pay attention to this and why it matters anyhow let's jump in with jason lingren and michael joseph and talk sky clock for a couple hours there it is man and again there's a lot of meat and potatoes an hour too cheers all right man welcome to crow triple seven radio this is episode 134 today jason lingren is with me and we have a guest michael joseph We're going to be talking a lot in the first hour about what I call the sky clock. Uh, So many people have come to think that the sky above us doesn't mean a darn thing. And uh, that's partially because modern science gets people thinking this way, and so much of what's called astrology has been made to be ridiculous. And a lot of what we're presented with is ridiculous. The truth is, is we have proof that the sky clock matters. First of all, if we want to place the sun, we have to understand the zodiacal signs because that's how we place the sun. Secondarily, anyone in this world can understand that plants are wholly, wholly controlled by where the sun is in the course of a year. Plants are the carriers of life essence, and I'll let you put the rest together. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. Welcome, Michael. Nice to have you for the first time. Yes, thank you guys very
1: much for having me on. Pleasure to be here.
0: Okay, so Jason, uh, do you do you have anything to add for the intro here, or are we just going to jump on in?
2: I think we're good to jump on in. It's all you, man. So, Michael, we are all familiar with the work you do, which is phenomenal, by the way. Lots of respect there. But let's start with an easy one. What does the sky clock mean to you and all the research and experience you've got?
1: Okay, well, um, it's kind of evolved over time, but... Um, I don't know. I was in in my 20s. I randomly got exposed to astrology. And at that point, I was like anybody else. I was just thinking, oh, sun signs in the newspaper. And that's just the dumbest thing ever. And, you know, I always just kind of had a skeptical, sarcastic tone towards it. And then I got some information that's based on more deeper readings of natal charts. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I was almost kind of in shock about some of the things that were really true about. You know my life and and things like that. So I was from there. I just kind of had like a mild interest, and then over time, things evolved. I started looking to some quote unquote conspiracy things, and then I realized that uh, so much of these occult doctrines are based around astrology. So I kind of dug in and and started to understand more about it, and I think it really helped me in terms of understanding a lot of the doctrines of Freemasonry, Theosophy, and whatnot, and also. In turn, tarot and Kabbalah. And what you had kind of mentioned before, um, or Crow had mentioned before about the mainstream telling us there's nothing to this, but then we have NASA at the helm of telling us how all the cosmos work, yet there's a lot of Freemasons in NASA. And if you open up any Freemasonic book, it doesn't take too long to figure out that they're all basing a lot of things on astrology. So there's kind of like a conflict of interest there, right? And then, of course, you think about the whole doctrine of hiding things from the quote-unquote profane or masses, then it comes pretty obvious that these uh, powers that be, as people like to call them, are implementing and utilizing this stuff. And if you understand a little bit about the system... It becomes pretty apparent, um, especially in particular world events, but also in social engineering society. So, for me personally, I believe that there's something to it in terms of how the controlling system utilizes it. uh, However, legitimate astrology might be in uh, whatever particular method, I'm still kind of uh, up for debate on it. But uh, definitely, the, the controlling forces have a vested interest in it. So. I kind of look at it from that lens, but then also my own personal experience. And my whole thing is that there's a lot of different kinds of astrology, some that I just completely don't agree with, or I just don't want to be involved in for a a moral or personal beliefs kind of thing. And then there's there's also different philosophical or quote-unquote spiritual ideas or systems that you could apply to the nature of astrology. So... It's pretty complex. It's not like one idea of it is set in stone, but like I said, I think that there's something to it and obviously the idea of the cycles of the above manifesting things on the below, however that might work or however our involvement in it is through um, free will or uh, some people think that's an illusion. I, I personally believe in free will, and I think that that's a big part of all of this stuff. So that's kind of my general synopsis on it. You know, I think that there's a, a lot of layers, a lot of complexity to it, and I think if you understand some of those complexities, you can make a better informed decision on what do you think about it as a whole, rather than being caught in the whole like newspaper horoscopes things. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, a lot of that, that's very well said. Much of that, I will point out that in hour two, we're going to flat out draw the lines that we cannot draw in hour one. But in some ways, talking about astrology or what I call the sky clock in any way is a bit like when we did the law series. You're just going to have one person after another come in and say you're doing it wrong. And in the research that I've done, uh, I understand wholeheartedly that we have forgotten as a civilization so much. Uh, about what the sky does for us. And as you pointed out, almost everything Masonic. I mean, they open it openly admit it. Now they didn't some years ago. It's all about tracking the sun through the acceptable year of the Lord and these types of things. But for me, I drew the line where I couldn't be swayed away from it anymore in my garden. And growing bamboo uh something as simple as the farmer's almanac and i would you know everyone out there can still go get a hold of a farmer's almanac these i've tested so many of these things when i first read that planting a seed because the moon is here or there i thought yeah right hocus pocus there's truth to it i've tested these things The simplest way for people to do this is to simply harvest herbs when the moon is full. Quite often, depending on the herb, it will be more potent at that time. And then there was a whole thing in bamboo that really clicked me over all the way, where many kinds of bamboo, when they seed, they die shortly thereafter. And what happens typically is when a certain species of bamboo comes into seed, it seeds everywhere all the way across the world, and that's when I really started paying attention. But I'd just like to add here, it was the garden, my garden, that showed me uh, these things are not hokum, and they do matter, and since plants are living things, we can relate to them in that way. Anyhow, Jason.
2: So, Michael, what was the thing that caught your attention as far as getting into studying the occult and all of this? Was there an aha moment for you, because you said you went from seeing the sillier aspects of astrology in the newspaper to realizing there's something to it with occult studies, but what got you from that point to the next point?
1: Um, Well, I guess the beginning phases of me being interested in astrology was just admitting that there was something there and to it, but I just sort of dabbled, for lack of a better term, here and there, and just understanding it like I'd get a free birth chart printout online and then I look up the different placements like, you know, oh, my Saturn is in Libra. What does that mean? And I just kind of like just take it in, you know, not like completely being invested in it, but just, okay, you know, this this makes sense to me in relationship to my life. This doesn't. And when things didn't line up, I'd, you know, be honest about it. And I still am that way with a lot of this stuff. And then the transition into kind of like the truther realm with it. Was uh, you know just my awakening process in general, and then realizing that so much of what goes on in our world is being driven by spiritual or religious ideologies. Um, but that's the nature of the occult; it's it's hidden, and if you understand some of these doctrines, then it becomes unhidden, right? And so that was sort of the transition into looking into things a bit more hardcore. And um, you know, the, the last thing I'd say about that is that. I don't actually necessarily promote astrology or tarot stuff as like they're taught in like a lot of these writings, even the more esoteric ones. I have like my own personal issues with certain philosophies and stuff like that, but that's just my understanding of it. And so I'm kind of in an interesting position where I think about these things a lot differently than most people do, but I do read from a lot of particular writers and and doctrines and people's positions on them to kind of flesh these things out and separate wheat from chaff and stuff like that. So the last thing I'd mention also is that I utilize Western astrology, but I understand the distinction between Western and Eastern. It's sort of like a a particular mindset or it's like a different lens. And so they're kind of seen as the same, but it's sort of like, um, I guess you could think about it as like one that's more tied to the physical world like Western astrology and one that's more tied to the idea of a, a metaphysical world that's like less tied to creation. So, for example, the Western astrology is more tied to the seasons and uh, geometry. And then the the Vedic one is more tied to the actual constellations, granted that they divided up into 30 degrees where the actual constellations vary greatly and how uh, big or small ones are. For example, like Virgo is a very big constellation. So there's this sort of like interesting um, connection between geometry and angles of particular signs and divisions and then based on the seasons in the West. And I know that uh, you guys have talked a lot about suspicions about equinoxes and stuff like that. But either way, I find that The Western is more useful for applying a lot of these events that we might be talking about. I think the correlations are more there, but I do think that the quote-unquote elites view it from both angles or both sides of it, if that makes sense.
0: You know, you made some key points there, uh, to be sure, and Jason and I have covered at times the idea of the procession of the the equinoxes, the so-called procession of the equinoxes, and why the hell is it that when we look at the sun— at the vernal equinox, that's not the sign, that we're the age that we're supposedly in. Uh, I know certainly, or I can demonstrate outright, that the zodiacal stars or constellations we see now have been changed. Very few people are aware that what we now call Scorpio was once a lofty eagle. Uh, everything about Scorpio has a negative connotation as you're falling into the winter months, but as an example... The two stars in uh, in the claws of Scorpio, and I'm going to make a wild-ass guess here, Zubin el-Shanubi and Zubin el-Janubi or something they're called. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I probably got it wrong. I'll hear about it. Um, those used to be the uh, scales in Libra. So things have certainly changed. And then there's the whole idea that there was once 13 zodiacal signs which I don't think is really dismissible. It's just that there's no evidence that we can find. I've gone through so many old manuscripts, but we all know that a 13-month division, and I'm not going to lead us down this road, uh, using the moon is a much cleaner division of the year. But I think you make a key, key point here in understanding there's something to it, but further understanding there ain't, apparently, any one single roadmap that'll teach you how to get there. And it seems, as a society, we've lost so much knowledge about it. For sure. And I think that, um,
1: like for me, when there's a correlation, there's a correlation. I just might not understand the mechanics of how it might all work, because I'm looking at it also from more of a psychological and and sociological understanding, because there's a lot of in the Zodiac system and the planets and what they represent. There's a lot of uh, things that you can tie to human consciousness and relationships in there. And I might not really be very well versed in a lot of the stuff, like, especially like you are, just like cosmology and stuff like that. When when my When it comes to science and physics and things like that, my eyes kind of glaze over that's not my strong suit. But when I can get the kind of philosophy applied to particular things and then I can see when an event takes place with particular alignments and then I see what was presented in the event by the media – I'm like, wow, there's some very, very strong correlations to this or that. But, of course, you kind of have to understand the system of astrology, which is really based on a lot of hierarchies and rulerships.
0: Right. For me, I've gone back through the oldest texts I can get my hands on. From my point of view, uh, what NASA tells us a planet is, is not how I view it. I view all planets, the sun and the moon, as what's called a luminary. And this is reflected in some of the oldest teachings we can get our hands on, and the best you can do is try to apply common sense, try to find these things across multiple sources, and I always heavily favor what I call things before the modern edit, things like Manilius and these other ideas, but a lot of these ideas are being put forth by men who we are told were in important positions, like a Caesar or something, And, and below all that whether or not the historical timeline is accurate or not it all ties to the four elemental idea that we cover so much here that is basically the basis for everything we're talking about once you get into it.
1: For sure. Definitely. And I think that that's a key thing to remember. There's a system that's presented and you can read, but just like with anything, you have to kind of test that and, and see what makes sense. And, and, and that's a, it's a difficult process, you know, figuring out, am I asking a fundamental question like an elephant in the room question? There's something not quite right about that. But I'm being told otherwise. Or, or you know, do I have a lack of knowledge that I don't understand it? Or is someone trying to pull a fast one? And that's kind of like the challenge for everybody. You know, you have to you have to keep your pride in check, but at the same time make a an assertion when something is not right and be confident in that. So, you know, it's kind of the struggle of us all here, I think.
2: <laughs> well well said. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way through that. So, Michael, from what you've come across, what do you think is the reality of astrology? And how much do you think it is used in real world events by the people who plan these sorts of real world events that go on? Well, I think there's kind of like a
1: twofold component to it. There's two polarities: a real, actual metaphysical influence, however that might be, whatever the "quote unquote" planets are or the lights are. Is there an actual influence on the nature of? Our, our lives or humanity as a whole, in a macro and microcosmic kind of way. And is there also, perhaps, on the other end of the spectrum, um, this gets into more like a um, natal chart psychological astrology? Uh, you could make the argument that there's sort of like a Rorschach test kind of uh, association where you're taking a particular set of attributes, archetypes, relationships to to human function in our society and 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 life? And are you assimilating them in a way that makes sense to you to fit your life? But through that, it's kind of aiding you in self reflection and thinking about, oh, you know, okay, this, you know, the sun or Saturn represents my relationship with my father or a more parental or masculine side of things. And then you start thinking about that relationship. And then you start adding in, well, are there things that I'm doing to escalate problems here or there? So it's just a self-introspective tool. Whether or not there's legitimacy there, I'm not sure. But I'm I'm kind of at the point where I think it's kind of a blend of both. I think that there is some sort of influence of the quote-unquote sky clock that sort of, quote, uh, I guess, sort of governs in some way our lives here in terms of nature and cycles. Um, I don't know exactly how that works. And obviously, the the uh, your understanding of spirituality or your particular religious viewpoint might also put a different lens on how that exactly works work or why or what's the point. But for me, I think it's kind of a blend, especially when you're looking at your own natal chart. Like I do think that you do assimilate some of the themes to fit your own life. And also another thing I'd add is that astrology is kind of like big picture in its uh, function. So for example, a particular sign will have a certain set of attributes or themes that are associated with it but like say something like um, uranus uranus is a planet that's kind of associated with individuality or freedom but freedom and individuality means a lot of different things to a lot of different people so you can't just say because somebody has a lot of uranus influence they're gonna you know be all about rebellion or freedom but like how does that manifest and so this is obviously how a lot of the manipulation works in social engineering, you know, we go invade countries for freedom, right? But what does that mean, right? And so this is the nature of astrology. You're kind of debating uh, a microcosm within these macro terms and themes. And I think that's what's so interesting about it, because those things can go in vastly different directions with when you have a particular mindset.
0: So I I get where you're going here. The way I broke it down was to go as simple as I could. And so maybe you start with a day or a year or something like that to demonstrate what the sun's doing. But it ends up being almost like the face of a clock. Whenever the hands of the clock are on the number three, Uh, It's going to be a different set of circumstances than when the hands of the clock are on the number nine, as an example, or any other pairing I could make. And so in the same way, I understand that when the sun's getting low to the western horizon, chances are it's going to be dark. I can pretty much bank on it. In the same way, if I blow it out to a year, when that sun gets down near the lowest point, or what's called the the winter solstice, um, chances are it's going to snow. It may not always snow, but that potentiality is there, and the sky clock is measuring the possibility for that aspect of nature to be uh, occurring. And so for me, a person who truly understood the sky clock would basically have a better understanding of what potentialities are likely to be at hand at any given moment. I don't know if I said that very well. No,
1: that's a great point, and I think that relates to some of the ideas behind quote-unquote alchemy. Again, there's another term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but there's this idea of the physical part of things, like you just described, the sun being related to physical changes in the seasons. And then there's also a mental or like spiritual understanding that's like the consciousness or the 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 air, right? the The kind of like the unseen realm of how we operate uh, within our our minds and our consciousness. And so that's sort of like the other part of alchemy where it's transmuting mindsets or transmuting through social engineering how people behave on that spiritual plane. So they're both connected, but again, in the exoteric science, they try to get us to focus pretty much only on the physical, at least that we're aware of, even though they are at the same time transmuting our our spirit or mindsets, we're just unaware of it. And so I think that that kind of bridges the gap between both of those things where there is the kind of mental soul psyche aspect of astrology and then there's the stuff that's tied to the natural world like you said planting cycles and um, even like medicine and stuff like that
2: so michael to set things up for later can you explain to us what is meant by the ascendant sure
1: in any chart the ascendant point which is just the eastern horizon is seen as very important it kind of is like this anchoring point and the best way i can describe it is this relates to the directions so you have an east-west axis, right, the horizon line, um, the sun rising in the east, setting in the west. And then you have a north-south axis. So this would be the midheaven. So when the sun is at solar noon at the highest point of the ecliptic, um, that's the midheaven, which is the direction of the south, at least in the northern hemisphere. And then the opposite end of that is when it's pretty much midnight and the sun is, quote-unquote, at its darkest point, right, in relationship to the place uh, that you're at. So this is the solar day through the east, south, west, and the north, and then back again. And then this is the the kind of like the microcosm of a day, and then that can be transposed to the seasons. So the east is like the spring, you know, the sun rising, and then the uh, the midheaven or the south is like the summer, right? The sun is at its highest potency, exalted in the heavens, right? And then the west is fall, um, and then... It goes into, quote-unquote, darkness at the the winter solstice, and that relates to the uh, northern part of the ecliptic in a natal chart. So there's a lot of that encompassed in a chart, and so it's like a coordinate system of the uh, north-south um, and east-west axis that defines the point. And this is what... that. Ascendant point, I kind of relate it to like the bases in baseball. The bases don't really have any power in and of themselves. They're just points on a field. The players or quote unquote the planets, right? That they have the power. And so, but the thing is when the players are interacting around these bases, that's where a lot of the most important stuff happens. That's where like the meat of the game is surrounded by those four points. So this is really important in a particular event. If something happens at a specific time, more often than not, we'll get into this later. There is a particular planet that's on the eastern horizon uh, that has a general theme to a particular event. Um, so I just give a quick example. You know, the Apollo Eleven moon launch. They launched that at a particular time where predictably the the moon is on the ascendant. Right, this whole event is about the moon. It's what you want to bring into the consciousness of everybody watching it or partaking in it. And so they arranged it so that at the time of the launch, the moon was on the eastern horizon in the western system. And so the other thing, the other component to that, it's a time window that you have to have time pretty accurately because after 15, 20 minutes, just like the, the sun moves throughout the day, well, then the sign on the eastern horizon changes. And so once the moon moves away that quote-unquote influence or prominence of it starts to go away. So uh, I kind of go over this in my Occult Science series. I have some particular chapters on this um, going more in depth. And you have to get the right time of the launch. There's been some interesting difficulties where if you look up Apollo 11 moon launch time on the the mainstream astrology sites, they actually don't have it the chart right. And I wonder if that's by design. I don't really know. But uh, I kind of had to go through some hula hoops to try to rectify exactly when that was. But when I did... Sure enough, the moon is right there on the eastern horizon. I can elaborate more on that, but I don't know if you guys wanted to uh, reflect on anything before I get too detailed about it.
0: (laughs) Well, um, I want to make this point. Um, So many minds out there will be skeptical about so much of what we're talking about. But in truth, what you're talking about Exactly reflects the real, actual, true nature of what's going on in the world. And to put that into context, you mentioned solar noon. We've all been convinced, literally, that when we look at our iPhone and it says it's 12 in the afternoon, that's noon. It's not. It is not. That is a man-made not even attempt to come close to getting it right. It's an arbitrary division of a day. And you pointed out the actual truth of it is when solar noon or at the sun at its apex, that is the true unarguable division of the day. And almost everything you just spoke about fits into that same category. Unarguable. That's where it is now. You can look, you can verify it. But I don't have a problem with going any further down this road if you'd like to. Maybe I'll just touch upon a couple
1: quick things uh, on it, and then we can move on. This ascendant point, it it basically, it marks the house system in astrology. And just a really quick analogy, the house system is very individual to the event or you. And this would be like the micro of your life. The house system relates to the position on earth. So it's more earthly of the earthly nature, your own individual personality. Things related to the earth are more subjective In their philosophy like the the, you know the the moon the earth it's got that uh emotional nature right and emotions tend to uh be more subjective that's why people saying some people's motions are clouded sometimes they they aren't able to have the right reason right and so then the macrocosm that's like well at one o'clock on this particular day the moon is in this sign for everybody across the earth but at that ascendant point it's unique because that house system won't be the same for everybody. So that is just a quick way to kind of express the importance of the time and location is that that ascendant is sort of like this entering point. And the the, the last thing I'll I'll mention about it is like the basic understanding of it is it's what's conscious. It's like if you have a new person rising into the world, everyone's conscious, right? This, oh, this new kid, everyone's focused on you it's kind of like associated with first impressions. So the Ascendant, the idea behind it is that the uh, sign and the planet that rules it uh, will have something to do with the first impressions you make upon somebody. So if somebody has a Saturn Ascendant, depending on varying factors, they might seem like a Saturnine person when people first see them. Like if somebody came across Jason for the first time walking on the street, they're going to make certain assumptions about jason based on their first impressions about you know his tone of voice how he carries himself that all falls into the category of the ascendant so when you apply that to events then you can start seeing there's an awakening conscious relationship that this is what they want to project that everyone is aware of and then there's other things in the chart that might indicate more uh, deceptive motives or something like that so i think that that might set the tone for how we'll go about this later on
0: Well, I think we could also say that it's actually physically provable, observable events that are unique to the individual. And that's a bit like we could blow that idea out to maybe how names are used. Like how many Michaels do you know in the world? There's hundreds. You might even know 50 or 60 of them in the course of your lifetime. Uh, There's nothing unique about the way we name. And, you know, we could watch the old Hollywood movies and see how we're told the Indians named this child deer running because the moment he was born, someone saw a deer running. Whatever you want to think about that, that name actually reflects something very unique and personal to that new child. In the same way, these natal charts are a similar thing, I would add. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's
1: uh, that, that's why the, the chart, if you go through it, it's very complex. And uh, it's, again, it's a system of hierarchy and rulership. So once you know how to read the language, then you can kind of translate for somebody, and then the person can... Reflect back to you if that has any meaning or bearing in their life. And uh, I think a lot of the times people get kind of surprised on uh, how often it does but you know if it doesn't then it doesn't I'm, I'm still not somebody that is trying to make something fit when it doesn't but uh
0: it definitely does with these events for sure <laughs> you, you got to broaden your mind in the west we've all been taught to think very literally and you kind of have to break out of that cube to make a pun uh and broaden out the way you can think of things to start to appreciate this but anyhow go ahead jason
2: cube good one <laughs> <laughs> So you brought up before about Apollo. So let's take a quick look at government-issued space travel. From what you've seen and done, and I know you've done a lot of work on this, Michael, how much occult symbolism and astrological planning has gone into what are considered the official missions from NASA?
1: Quite a bit. I mean, admittedly, I've the the focus I've had has been on the the moon landing mission uh, and uh, the, the launch, especially, but. There's a lot of logos that are involved. This uh, also ties to a lot of, I guess, um, occult philosophy. So, for example, um, there's there's particular stories, like, for example, uh, Neptune and Apollo in theosophical writings are associated with building the city of Troy. But there's an allegory to this mythology, and this building of the city of Troy by Neptune and Apollo is... Building the foundation of the quote-unquote mystery religion and carrying it on, establishing it through these two figures. And so I'd argue that the whole purpose of the, the moon landing, whatever its legitimacy, has direct correlations in astrology to Neptune and Apollo and a lot of what that event was about was establishing a lot of the ideas involved in these doctrines. What did it establish? The science god, right? Oh, mankind and technology has achieved this apotheosis, right? And this is part of a lot of the occult doctrines, you know, the evolution of mankind, mankind, the Philosopher's Stone becoming gods, defying themselves, that kind of thing. And so it's pretty interesting how within Neil Armstrong and um, Buzz Aldrin's charts— which uh, the source I got from that, it says it's from their actual birth certificates, um, their times of birth. Uh, It's pretty interesting that they seem to be these Neptune and Apollo figures, because when I was talking about a planet being on the Ascendant, that's important. But that whole axis, the north-south-east-west axis we talk about, if there's any planet on any of those axes, then they become prominent in the chart. And so, interestingly enough, the only planets that either of them have in their charts is Neptune and Apollo, or, or the Sun being Apollo, I'll just, they'll be synonymous uh, in their charts. Also, they, they're both of their ascendants are in Gemini. Pretty interesting. So, the ascendant is like this really important anchoring point. So, their ascendant is in Gemini, and then Mercury rules Gemini. And of course, you see all this Gemini and Mercury symbolism in all of these missions, you know, the Gemini, you know, whatever, like it's all over the place. And so, their astrological profile or makeup. Is basically centered around uh, these placements. And another interesting thing, I don't want to get too complex with it, but their Mercury, again, that the planet that rules the sign becomes important. So you look to where Mercury is placed in their charts, and each of their charts, Mercury is conjunct the sun or Apollo or conjunct Neptune. So it's merged with them. So all of this mythology about Apollo and Neptune being Masons building the mystery religion is reflected in their charts. And I get more into this in the Occult Science series. There's a lot more parallels. I won't get into it because we'd get sidetracked. But the point is, they're building this foundation. And in Kabbalah, the foundation Sephirah is the moon Sephirah. So pretty interesting. Once you start understanding some of these correlations, you can see it in the event, and you can see it in the symbolism as well. And not to mention the whole idea of the eagle being related to, like Crow said earlier, Scorpio. There's a lot of... uh correlations to the sign of Scorpio or the house of Scorpio, the eighth house in their charts as well. So if you go through the charts, it's just like the eagle, the moon, Neptune and Apollo is just written all over it. So were they selected for that specific reason to fill this mythology of Apollo and Neptune building the quote unquote mystery religion for all of mankind to see through this apotheosis event?
0: I like that you put the hand of man behind all this, because when people begin to get the glimpse that you're starting to allude to, it's overwhelming, man. The scope, the detail, the number of years or even generations where all these lines could be drawn right through. So many people say, well, it's pretty clear now we're all living in a computer program, a human being couldn't do all this. And I'm not down on anyone from going that direction because it is overwhelming. And when you begin to try to figure out how could any of this be done in the first place, um, eventually, you will probably come to the common sense conclusion that there are very old families or very powerful organizations that never lost any of the sky clock information. So, what we are viewing with new baby eyes has actually been going on the whole time. I mean, what do you think about all that? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the kind of thing, you know, and I know you
1: guys kind of talk about this a lot with it's like helping people deal with this information without destroying their lives you know and i think that one thing that's really important to remember is once you wake up to this stuff it's new to you it's not new to the history of the world so have some comfort in that these things have been going on um so don't get overwhelmed with a sense of fear that all of this has just started to suddenly happen you know what i mean it's just like this point you know even when you were younger and you you saw things not being as bad as they are now Um, You know, like for me, back when we used to still talk to our neighbors and we didn't all have iPhones and we, you know, I could go walk in my neighbor's house and not even knock and hang out. These things were still going on during that time. So I think that what you just said is a key point to all of this and and not letting people be overwhelmed by the depth of it, because this is just kind of the nature of our world. And, you know, we can we can have a healthy relationship to it where we don't be overcome by the fear of it all.
0: Perfect. There, it, I couldn't have said it better. There's absolutely nothing to fear here, and I often I get so many e- emails from fearful people, and I point out immediately, you know, if you logically look at this, nothing has changed from the time you were five years old. The only thing that has changed is what you know. Uh, the world has not significantly changed. It's just that, unfortunately, the school we go through didn't tell us about all these other pieces of the world that apparently very old families knew about the whole time, but good point. There is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. There just isn't.
2: So, Michael, do you think it's obvious that NASA went from Mercury to Gemini to Apollo?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, pretty interesting that these are sort of alchemical terms or processes, you know, it's it's based around Mercury, obviously, and you guys talk about that a lot. Um, you know, it's this uh, kind of like binding agent of the salt and the sulfur, and, um, you know, the Gemini twins represent that on some level, you know, the two pillars of the, the duality, the, the male or female principle, stuff like that. And then in these processes, you have the Mercury, um, through this transmutation process. And then of course, a lot of this stuff is based around the sun and, um, dying and resurrect because the sun is really like, uh, the kind of like the spirit in astrology, it's, it's associated with the future, what you're looking forward to. And so if you tie that to kind of science, it's sort of like there's always this evolution of man tied to it. Right. And this is part of the alchemy where you polarize things. You put them in the two pillars and from their kind of twisted mindset, it seems like they want to create a bunch of chaos because out of that chaos, they think it it ferments evolution or, or moving towards a particular goal, you know, one that they're setting. <laughs> and uh, that's that's how you transmute mindsets. You polarize and then you synthesize. And that's the, the point of the caduceus and the serpents separating then synthesizing. And the point is that you're going all the way up to the desired perfection of the magician. And the, it's no coincidence that the magician card in tarot is associated with the planet Mercury. And so I think that, this is all part of the process of science transmuting our mindsets, where we have the science gods of deGrasse Tyson and Cosmos and you know all of those figures, and they're secretly indoctrinating you into a religion, and you don't even know it, but of course they keep it on the physical plane, the Darwinian evolution of just the physical nature where a lot of these doctrines are tied to evolution, but they're looking at it from... spiritual lens, but just because it's spiritual, that doesn't mean it's good. could be bad spirits, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's a good point. Uh, Science in many ways in the modern era, what it's come to be, is uh, restrictive. It teaches us all to be literal, and it keeps us in the cube. And that's not meant to be a pun. That's meant to be a literal statement. They keep us boxed in to this mindset, to this way of learning, to this way of understanding that prevents the average mind from even considering much of what we said here. And uh, as I've said so many times, at the base of, of what science is, it has no concern for the natural world. And the truth is, is that everything we're really trying to address here the foundation for that is the natural world. Yeah. And they're trying to, it seems
1: transmute the natural world into what they desire it to be. And um, that's, you know, it gets into all the transhumanist stuff and the crazy uh, gender things going on and and all this chaos. And it's sort of like, that's the process of alchemy from that lens is, is taking a natural order of things and creating a new order out of it, you know? And that's, just the mo of the order
0: out of chaos uh axiom agreed except they've gone a step too far uh where it appears that not only are they intentionally replacing nature with the synthetic version of reality uh, they refuse to recognize that nature is perfect from our point of view and the things men and women do they're not perfect so
2: there's all that mm-hmm. so michael tell us a bit about the tarot and what you feel are important aspects of it well, as far as I understand it, I've read extensively on it,
1: but mostly through um, this guy, Paul Foster Case. He designed the BOTA deck, or Builders of the Adytum. Um and he wrote a, a book accompanying his particular deck. And again, I'm not like somebody that's necessarily promoting tarot, per se. I'm just looking at the symbolism, and, and it's all tied into this stuff. So basically, the, the tie into to this is that every single card has a correlation to a particular zodiac sign or a planet and also an element uh, aside from Earth. And so this also can be kind of iconography to teach a particular mindset, all right? So the the, the idea of the, the tarot cards is sort of like, this is also an alchemical process where you're transmuting a mindset. And this also corresponds to the Kabbalistic Tree of Life there's 22 pathways, so each card is assigned a pathway, but back to more older Hebrew Kabbalah, it's tied to Zodiac signs, and the, the Hebrew letter is tied to a specific sign. And then, of course, and traditionally, before people started bringing in the outer planets, it was the, the seven planets or luminaries, and then they added the rest to kind of complete the system. So this 22 tarot card trump deck, or trump cards, are basically a journey through a solar year similar to everything that we've been talking about and so if you think about like something like i don't know in like catholicism you have like imagery and icons saints and and whatever um and then part of a mass and that's part of like uh, that version of initiation but th- this is sort of like a an inverted system of that according to albert pike says that basically the occult system is the inversion and that it's the same function But what's really interesting about it is that you can find instances where things that are put out to us in in mass events are actually reflecting tarot cards. Um, So this is the idea of alchemy. You're trying to release a particular spirit. And this gets back to Gnosticism, where there's this spirit or essence or quote-unquote divine spark hidden in nature, and you try to break down nature to release this. And then, of course, this is all... Predicated upon the idea that the material world is this illusion, and you can do what thou wilt with it based on your knowledge of the forces of nature. And you know, again, this gets into the aeon of Horus and transhumanism and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's based on a lot of these principles. Whether you agree with how that's manifesting or not, it's, it's still, in my opinion, kind of inarguable that this is tied to these doctrines. And so, I'll give you a couple quick examples about how we've received massive initiations of tarot cards. Throughout uh, particular events or just architecture. So, um, when the, the the JFK assassination happened, Jackie Kennedy was brought out to light the eternal flame. Now, in the most icono- uh, iconic iconic uh, picture of her, she's standing there with the veil, right the the ISIS mourning veil, and she's standing between her two children, and her two children are both dressed in the exact same outfit, so they're the twins. And so she is the goddess standing between the Gemini pillars. Now, this is a reflection of the High Priestess card. Granted, on the High Priestess card, she's unveiled. The veil is behind her, and the Tree of Life is designed behind her. Whereas with Jackie Kennedy, she's veiled, so that they're covering up the mystery. Um, But it's still part of this indoctrination process. And you can see this reflected in the former Twin Towers, where there's a lot of iconic photographs of the Statue of Liberty, if you look at it at the right angle, it's in between the two towers. And the way they designed it is that the North tower is on the left and the South tower is on the right, just like in the high priestess card. So you can see a lot of these motifs that will come out in particular events or movies like, you know, the last two Heath Ledger movies, uh, the Batman movie and the, uh, imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is super Masonic. He was the hanged man. You even saw the hanged man on nine 11. There's an iconic photograph of a guy in the hangman position falling and the picture is in such a way that the the left side of the photograph and the right side of the tower look black and white. And so these are all pretty much tarot cards used in subconscious ways. And all of this stuff is tied to the subconscious, um, especially when you get into um, you know some of the young work. And I've gone through this in the JFK assassination. There's like a, a strange alchemical process of JFK through his presidency that leads to the moon landing apotheosis event. But again, so they're shaping the mindset, the spirit. They're trying to release the spirit through a lot of this imagery uh, based on their will and their their being the magicians, right?
0: That's all. That's So all of that that you just covered is so interesting. And uh, you might even consider that they're tapping into what's been called archetypes by people like Jung, uh, where the idea is there's these ancient archetypes that are in the world mind. They're in our subconscious of every living person. Um, somehow that's being tapped into in these processes. Uh, what do you think? Exactly. I think that's
1: kind of the name of the game. And there's something tied to this, to the idea of chaos in terms of an initiation process. Now, chaos is tied to creation and, like, the mother. So in this, like, you know, Crowley Rituals, the Night of Pan, stuff like that, the idea is you go into this chaos and you rebirth a new consciousness. So the the chaos ties back to the chaos of Genesis, Tofu Vabohu passage, where it's like chaos is on the waters of the deep during the creation story. And so there's this idea of returning to this chaos, which is supposedly this subconscious matrix of all potentialities blended into one in this chaotic mess And from that, you proceed to form structure and order. And so tapping into this through the subconscious relates to art, music, mythology. All of these things are incredibly important uh, to tap into that. So this gets in exactly what you said, where you're you're tying into some deeper psychic connectivity to the arts. And uh, even Crowley and Jung They kind of agree on the same things, which is really funny. A scholar and some crazy dude, or whether he exists or not. I know you guys didn't a show on that. But either way, his writings, it's pretty interesting how they have kind of like the same ideas upon how all of this stuff works. And that when you reenact a particular uh, story of a a mythology, uh, that taps into this. So when I mentioned before about the Apollo and Neptune, Masons building the Doctrine on the Moon... That taps into a a mythology. Granted, the people aren't aware of it. They have no idea that they're recreating the occult understanding of building the city of Troy. But the people doing it know, and they don't care because it's all tied into the subconscious and manipulating people through predictive programming. I mean, this is something you guys talk all the time about.
0: Right. Some critical ideas there. I want to try to allegorize something about chaos, but I'll add, you know, from my point of view, Crowley just ripped things off if he he ever existed as a man. He just ripped things off from other parts and other religions and spiritual traditions and then used them in a very selfish way that has little or no regard for other human beings. But the chaos thing is a critical point you made there, and I always try to think of a good allegory for it. So what do you think about this allegory? There's a forest fire, and when we see this massive, out-of-control, unpredictable fire going on, and animals are getting burned up, everything's getting burned up, and the wind pushes it one way, then another, That's just completely out of control, and then we come back two years later, after this massive forest fire, and everything is green and beautiful, and there's brand new baby animals. Uh, Do you think that's a good allegory for kind of the chaos idea? Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, um, you know, there's... uh... A more natural way of that happening, and then there's a more um, synthetic, agenda-driven, <laughs> uh, you know, forced uh, social engineering <laughs> way. So, right. yeah, there is f- for sure a, a tie-in with that, and uh, it- it's like they're they're forcing the hand to destroy things in order to bring about it according to their will, rather than like you what you just use as an example, where it's just the natural process of our lives.
0: Right. Nature does it in what appears to be a perfect manner from our point of view. And men and women just don't have that ability as far as I can tell. That brings our one of episode 134 to a close about the sky clock. There's so many things that we wanted to be able to cover. But unfortunately, uh, YouTube is not a place to talk about things that matter anymore because of the black eyed beast called censorship. And as much as we may regret that, it is what it is at this point, And I don't think there's any denying it. And our two... We're going to take the Sky Clock ideas, and we're going to tie them to an endless chain of events. And anyone who's ever gotten into this, it becomes astonishing at a certain point of realization. But anyhow, we hope to see you all next week. And again, Hour 1 of Episode 134 to a close. See you all next time around. Cheers.